0: Digital Dust is a history podcast it's about the stuff you
1: learned in school
2: with a perspective you might not have considered.
0: Hi guys, welcome back to Digital Dust. I'm Katie. I'm Liz. I'm Robin. Oh, I'm Patrick. I don't hi. know what
1: that was. I got...
0: <laughs> it
1: was, it was got like nervous. a leprechaun. <laughs> I sounded sound a little bit like a leprechaun.
0: <sighs> welcome back to episode 10. This is uh, Double Digits. Double yes. Digits. How thrilling. It's so fun.
1: It's amazing. Let's do a top 10 list of all the episodes so every episode is on
2: it yeah this is actually what this whole episode is top 10 <laughs> that would have been great if we did this Why episode did just... It was just top
0: 10s <gasps> wow guys we really messed that up um instead of the brilliant idea that patrick just came up with instead of coming up with it four days ago
1: <laughs> i'm sorry
0: <laughs> uh we're talking about museums today so this week we are talking about
2: museums because it is museum week you might be hearing this on the monday though museum week was last week for our listeners right now. But this week, we are celebrating everything about museums, especially creativity. That is the theme of the week. And if you go and check out Museum Week on any of their socials, you can see a whole bunch of museums around the world are participating. I believe we have over 6,000, maybe even more than that, participants. Over 202 countries who have museums are joining in to share their love of museums, what's going on behind the scenes, and what's coming in the future.
0: how exciting we're gonna answer Ooh, yeah. what is a museum that's the big question we're gonna answer also some like history Ah, oh, classic we're gonna do history and uh then we're gonna talk about it's not a it's not a not fun topic but we're gonna talk about how museums are colonial institutions but then we're gonna end on a positive note because we'll talk about how they can do better and how they're getting better it'll be good it, it'll be fun
2: but fun you yeah, gotta get a little real yeah <laughs> a little sprinkle
0: of colonialism
1: oh, oh god <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't think anybody does yeah <laughs> uh, somebody does but we want i wanted to start with just like a few questions get us in the mood i think i've asked half of these questions before but come up with new answers i wanted to start off with a museum that you love it doesn't have to be your favorite but just a museum you love and then why well, I don't have like any specific
2: museum that's coming to mind right now, but museums that I love are ones that are very interactive and ones that are very engaging for the public. I think having just something up on a wall with a lot of text is not enough for me. I love being drawn into the history, but also the environment of the museum. So it could even be a historical site. I love those and I'll, I'll talk about them to no end, but I think there's something special about stepping into the past and interacting with it physically.
1: Yeah, so I also haven't been to many museums outside of Canada. And even within Canada, I haven't been to a lot of museums. I feel so, like, sacrilegious with this sort of position. But, like, museums are one of my lesser interests in public history, I think, just in general. Like, I think I'm more interested in other forms of public history than museums. So, that being said, uh, Pier 21 in Halifax is definitely probably right up there. Uh, It's one of the reasons why it was one of the few museums I applied to for the internship. Just because I love their mission statement and sort of what they do and the histories that they talk about so I think I think that's really really my niche with them and they also they're really good at making you sort of feel I guess uh, and and sort of like you know relate to, to the history that's there um, in a really awesome way so. also Banting House is great
3: Banting <laughs> House is great
1: <laughs> Katie and Liz you still have
3: yeah Liz I mean, like, I have a soft spot for museums that I've worked in that were, like, smaller museums, and I think, um, like, in general, smaller museums, I think people, like, overlook them a lot, and I think that, like, if you see a small museum, like, you should go in, because it's always a good experience, because they're usually very quiet, because, again, people don't really (laughs) go in them, but you always will have this, like, old lady who knows everything, or, you know, this amazing, like, I always have the best experiences, but... That being said, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite museum experiences, I guess, that I've been to, which is not a small museum at all, but it was the 9-11 Memorial Museum in New York mm. City at Ground Zero. It was just the way, I don't know, the way it was done, they infused so much meaning into like every little thing and it wasn't like oblivious, it wasn't cheesy, but you could read into the things that they were doing and you'd look... I don't know. It's just so neat. Like even when you walk in, the first thing that you see is this massive installation. There's this quote that says, I think it's no no day will erase you from the memory of time and which is a great history quote. And then there's all these pieces of blue paper and they are all different artist representations for how blue the sky looked that day because everyone talked about like on that day. It was such a beautiful blue sky, and then each piece of paper represents each person that died during the 9-11 tragedy. So just mm. things like that, like, they really did such a good job. And I mean, they also, like, the artifacts they have are insane. They have an entire fire truck that was crushed when the buildings collapsed, and everything is just, it was just such an experience. Um, it was, yeah, very well done. So if, if you're ever in New York, I highly recommend it. They also did a good job of, like, they section off the more traumatic parts of the museum, There's like kind of like depths that you can go where if you feel like experiencing that history, you can. But if you also are not comfortable, like you can still enjoy the museum without kind of like leaving feeling super, super heavy or like sobbing or traumatized or whatever else. So, yeah.
0: Wow. How do you follow that up? Um, (laughs) uh,
1: That's up to you, Katie. I was really hoping you're going to be like, hmm, how do you follow it up?
0: (laughs) With this! (laughs) Just like, you know?
1: No, it didn't uh, happen
0: though. No, because when I wrote this question, I didn't come up with an answer for myself. Oh, and sure. <laughs> um, oh my god! I know, I know. This is a failure of my my agenda writing skills. I was I was gonna be like, yeah, I love the rom, but I talk about the rom way too much. I just have a deep love of the rom, and like, as I mentioned in a different episode, I lived quite close to it, so you know, it was like my soul, but. Let me pick a different one because I guess I have to have other interests other than the rom. To move us outside of this continent, um, the Musée d'Orsay, I'm sorry for my pronunciation of French, Robin, and any of our French listeners, <laughs> uh, is an impressionist museum in Paris. It's a very lovely museum. My mom is, like, really into impressionism. So, like, you know, Monet. She just loves Monet. We have Monet all over our house. Not real, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> imagine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? Be like, hmm? Um, That'll answer my, the second question. I'll be right <laughs> over to your house. <laughs> yeah. Zoom. Um, but yeah, it's just like a really lovely museum. If I remember it correctly, it's in an old train station. And so it's like architecture is really cool. I'm I'm 90% sure that this is the right museum. I did not Google this. So if it's wrong, I'm sorry. But I'm pretty sure I read something about that. Just, it houses like so many really famous pieces and it was just a really cool experience. It was totally opposite from what you were saying, Robin, where you're like, I like experiential, like getting deep into it. This is just like art on the walls, like no, mm-hmm. fu- it's like white walls and just art. And you're like, but I still like it. It's a very <laughs> good museum. If you're ever in Paris. <laughs> and that leads us into the second question, which is what museums are on your bucket list? So many so many
3: i mean the louvre like the louvre is uh which i learned from our trivia is like the most visited museum in the world which makes sense i would really also love i'd love to do the vatican in rome i think there's so many cool things to be seen there don't know if i really want to support the catholic church though so like it's like um mm, uh, (laughs) um they
2: have david at least yeah (laughs) david's in there It's very famous.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what else, though. I mean, I've been to the Met. I would love to go back to the Met because I went there on a school trip and they literally gave us like an hour. And I was, I was just like, what? why? What? Not what? enough time. This is a waste of my time because I we went to the room where they have that Egyptian temple that they completely deconstructed in Egypt and then brought over and completely reconstructed in the Met, um, which is in, um, is it Made in Manhattan? The Jennifer Lopez rom-com?
1: It's a very oh, yes. iconic
3: scene where they go to like this party anyway so it felt really cool to be there <laughs> so we saw that mm-hmm. and that was it by the time we took to like walk through the rest of the exhibits to get to this room our hour was up so oh. yeah and we didn't get to go to like the guggenheim or any of the or moma like we didn't so maybe new york would be on my bucket list too it's more places yeah. and like groups of museums and like a specific <laughs> museum a bunch
0: mm-hmm. of museums back to back All museums yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For me, um, New York, the Met, for sure. Yeah, same here.
2: I think there's something about going to those big ones at least once, and mm-hmm. even being, for me, it's like art, big art pieces. Yeah. Uh, later, I'm I am going to be critical of how different art museums approach presenting art, but I there is something special about being in front of a a big piece of art, a famous work that you've been studying for like a whole semester or something. And finally seeing it. I, I do love that. I've had that opportunity once at the, at the Ottawa National Gallery. That was great. I saw one of the pieces from a group of seven that um, I think it was in high school. I had to recreate a painting from a famous artist. So I spent like the whole semester like studying the piece, drawing it over and over again. When I finally saw it in person, I was like
3: damn i got the colors wrong but i was
2: really happy to see it
1: <laughs> it's red
3: dang it i was oh. using purple how dare you not completely be as talented as tom thompson but i, I you know what? Oh, i still right. got a good grade so i can't hate yeah. too much
1: <laughs> you are not the eighth member of the group
2: so. <laughs> i tried so hard
0: <laughs> patrick bucket list
1: oh man I feel like people are gonna hate me. I don't. I don't have really any museums on a bucket list in terms of anything I want to. None. So he, okay, here I think if I went to a place that had a famous museum, then it would be on the itinerary. Like if I'm in yeah. Paris, I'm gonna go to the Louvre. But like I'm not gonna go to Paris to go to the Louvre. Does that make sense? Mm. That sort of differentiation. Mm-hmm. And I'm also I think similar to Robin. That's I'm also pretty uh, interested oh, in man. in smaller museums. Uh, like one time I was in London, oh, gosh. not London. I'm in London right now. <laughs> One time I was in Ottawa and uh, when I was in Ottawa, I, I was trying to figure out a museum to go to and I decided to go to something called the Bytown Museum. Robin, I don't know if you ever heard of it or not. Uh, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Fantastic. I go
2: by there all the time. It's so cute. It's, it's so cute.
1: It is. And, and that's why I wanted to go to it because like, I, I didn't want to spend my time in a giant museum when I was in, in Ottawa. I had a couple hours to kill. So I decided to go there and it was such a fun little museum experience. It was great.
2: Oh my god! Also, um, just further shout out for them—they're doing a lot of um, virtual stuff right now, mm. and they're doing—it's—it's—it's it's, it's amazing what they're doing. They're pretty much inviting you right inside the museum. You don't even need to go to Ottawa now, and well, you probably should. You should see it in person too.
0: But <laughs> if you want to see it right now, go check out their website. <laughs> nice. We have a good promo. Okay. All right, and then the last question, which I do, don't know if we'll actually have answers to. But, like, any kind of, I don't know, just weird museum experiences or museum ex- experiences you didn't like, put them on blast.
1: <laughs> Damn.
0: <laughs> we love all well, museums on this podcast.
2: Yeah, I like all museums. Um, I guess I kind of hinted to it, but I don't, like, I have issues with modern art museums that present their art in a certain way that isn't accessible for the public. There are certain s- institutions that present their art without any context and if you're someone who's walking in without an art history degree which many people do you're oftentimes you're probably gonna look at it and be like okay thanks for putting that up on the wall yeah. or like you're just not gonna find a way to taping a banana
3: it. to the wall
0: and you're oh. like no.
2: my art history prof loved that thing she it, she it makes encouraged sense. us
0: <laughs> it does make sense <laughs> if you know the context but it's that's good. the
2: thing yeah. but you most people don't and like she she actually has this really cool technique like if you have a piece of art that you don't understand or wh- that she didn't understand she'd print it out and tape it in her office and she'd look at it until she got something from it
0: oh mm-hmm. that's neat cool
3: the
2: worst thing though she did that with the banana she like literally taped a banana <laughs> to her like wait
3: yeah she's just, she just like but did they put a real banana on the wall and would you have to go with yes. like
1: take the banana you have to change off? it, it let it? it rot yes
0: it? Yeah, you have to replace it. Because
1: it's... Yeah.
0: Ro- oh, it would
2: okay. Yeah,
3: it'd be like every week. Does anyone else have any issues <laughs> <laughs> with other museums? I have, I have one kind of similar to Robin's, but it's not my own. It's actually a story that my mom has told me a lot. Hi, Mom, if you're listening. She does listen to this, so hi. Um, but Shout she... out to Liz's mom. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Yeah. So she was at Mo- MoMA or the Guggenheim. I can't remember which one. Um, she's a high school teacher, so she's been to New York on like high school trips a lot. So, they were in New York. I remember this was I think maybe the same trip where I was really little when they went. Uh, my parents on the on the chaperoning the school trip and they brought me back an American Girl doll that looked just like me. <gasps> she had bangs like I do now. Lucky dog. <laughs> it was like first grade Liz. Yeah. That's so sweet. Oh so my God. It was really fun. But um, yeah, they were at either the Mo- at MoMA or the Guggenheim, which are again, very modern art museums. And there was this one where it was like a pile of candy on the floor. And it was kind of all like roped off. And there's a sign on it that said, like, take one. And then she was she was like, mm, okay, interesting. And then she saw like, someone like who was visiting the museum, walk up and take one. And she was like, what are you doing? Like, you can't, like, you can't touch that. It's, it's art, right? You're not supposed to touch things. But then, uh, I think she asked someone later on and they're like, oh no, no, like, that was the artist's intention. Like, you can go up and take one. <laughs> She's like, so she was like, what? Like, is this art? Like, it was interesting. I kind of, like, thinking about it now, it really confronts that idea that a lot of us bring into museums. We're like, we're not allowed to touch anything or I even do that with, like, I want to get closer to the glass. Or, like, what if I accidentally touch it and, like, an alarm goes off, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm the kind of person, like, if I go shopping, I touch everything. It's it's really bad. It's a bad habit. But I'm just, like, a tactile person. You. So, but, yeah, it's interesting. Like, she, you know, she'd been kind of programmed, right, to, like, go into these spaces and be like, I can't touch anything. And uh, so it was, I think the art was doing an effective job of, like, challenging people in that way. We're like, no, you can go up and take one. But. Or, you know, if you had a pile of candy on the street, maybe, with a take one, people wouldn't think twice about it. But it's interesting when you put that into a museum. Well, maybe you should. You should think twice. You should at least <laughs> think twice. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Once a but... year, that's okay. Otherwise.
3: <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of interesting. Story. Cool.
1: That's neat.
0: Yeah. That's really neat. I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, you got anything?
1: Man, I'm the worst this episode, guys. You don't have to have anything. I don't think I have anything,
0: so... I don't... I don't hey, know. that's fine.
1: I think all my museum experiences have been have been positive. At least on nice. the museum side of it. I don't know. You know? On <laughs> the I
0: personal like... side? <laughs> A oh, no, I, fe-
1: I feel like there's always, like, people at the museum, like, visitors oh, yeah. who, are, who are less considerate or something, or jerks, but... Yeah. Oh, all in all, yeah. I'm fine. Okay.
0: Okay. Then I think we can... Uh, Pivot and start the more, like, not philosophical, but, like, I don't know, theory portion of this. I don't know, man. There's so many definitions. We have so many definitions right now. In 2019, there was this whole uproar because ICOM, which is, I think, the International Council of Museums. I could be wrong of that. I think that's what it's called. Like, what ICOM stands for. It's either
3: council or confederation.
0: Some C word. Um, They had this whole, like, meeting, as Liz said, and they decided on a new definition for museum and it like put the world in storm for some reason. Oh boy. Like, There's just like <laughs> all of these articles of people being like that's not what a museum is. Were they
1: oh, all old God. and cronody?
3: <laughs>
0: Wasn't the original
3: definition like very optimistic and kind of like
0: mm. No, that's the CMA definition that's really optimistic. Oh, that yes. you're like okay, tone that down a little bit they're not that That's just not, real. not yet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay for context guys we're going to talk about what a museum is and what it what its functions are how we can define it is it a physical building questions like that and what ICOM did was they made a working definition that kind of expanded what the traditional notion of museum is to be more about intangible heritage and like education and all this stuff that, um, as Patrick said, the old scrimmageons were not happy about. Okay, so the ICOM's full definition is, quote, a museum is a nonprofit, permanent institution in the service of society and its development, open to the public, which acquires, conserves, researches, communicates, exhibits, and exhibits, the tangible and intangible heritage of humanity, and its environment for the purposes of education, study, and enjoyment, and that's what broke the whole world in 2019. Take that in, everyone.
1: Well, you know, I feel broken right now. I feel, I feel like I need to yell at a computer. <laughs> Emotionally, I feel. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to scream at a computer screen for the next little while. Based on that definition, what do they think? What? Do they... I understand what? the outrage
2: now.
0: Ooh.
1: I am. <laughs> I am flabbergasted. I cannot.
0: So what is a museum? Like, you don't have to read the definitions, um, just like in your opinion or in your experience. What does a museum do? What is it physically? Anything like that. An institution that collects,
3: manages, maintains, cares for, and displays objects of meaning of some sort. Bananas yep, taped for to sure. a wall could have meaning. Yep. They have
0: meaning or value and, Do.
3: <laughs> and we're we're often like there, there's usually a reason why we're keeping them or or displaying them or maintaining them so future generations can enjoy them mm-hmm. or that they need to be protected from the elements yeah
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
3: i so. generally
2: mm-hmm. see them as like spaces that are a bridge between the public and the past
1: yeah yeah for sure yeah, I think, and even more sort of generally than that, I figure a museum has to have some sort of, like, display element or that, that sort of thing. So even if it's a private yeah. museum or something that only certain people have access to, like some some corporations have their own private sort of museum halls or something like that, it's still for people. It's, it's still presentory. Presentory Is that even yeah. a word?
0: No idea. It is now.
1: It is now. <laughs> <laughs> Webster's at me. It's good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think museums also store, store and display for education. Yeah. Yeah. Most, we hope. Yeah. Um, now they do. <laughs> now they do. Thanks, ICOM. <laughs> ICOM didn't make that shift. <laughs> <laughs> they just wrote it down. They sure. just wrote it down. Uh, also, conservation, which I think Liz touched on, but I don't know if you used the term conserve. So, like, making mm-hmm. sure that we preserve and conserve the objects of cultural heritage which is the term most people use Mm
1: -hmm. Mm. i always have a a thought about museums in in that the the name has has the word muse in it or like like to look at something to to you know what i mean like to just sort of like i have a thought baby okay so um (laughs) birth (laughs) birth (laughs) that thought baby let's go i will (laughs) uh which is just that like I, I, i feel like that's sort of an older way of seeing what museums do just because a lot of museum work at this point is things like commemoration Or uh, like like the the 9-11 museum that Liz was talking about is an an Mm -hmm. example of that, where it's not necessarily there for entertainment or for musing or for like sort of looking at something in a grandiose way, but more to remember an event or to to highlight a piece of history that's sort of been ignored for a long time. And, uh, uh, you know, truth and reconciliation is a part of that, too. So I feel like uh, uh, as those sorts of themes and topics are sort of getting more common in the public discourse in general, museums are starting to have a bigger role in, in that way as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I like that. I like like MTV commemoration. Yeah.
1: That's a big well, part. Well, I just I just think "commuseum" is a little too hard to say. So
0: yeah. 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 To Commuseum. Yeah. Welcome to my Commuseum. Doesn't
1: roll off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
3: It's been really interesting to see how museums have worked around and kind of worked for like the COVID-19 pandemic, if that makes sense. Um, It's interesting Mm -hmm. to see, like, we're living through a a historical event, um, and it's neat to see, like, how, well, this was one of the projects that we did for our our degree was, like, an online archiving and collecting of, like, digital artifacts, which is literally just, like, tweets um, relating to the pandemic, and it's a similar kind of thing where, like, we're collecting masks and... Uh, I don't know, probably vaccine vials and stuff at this point. So we can, you know, oh, yeah. 20, 30, 100 years from now, we can, you know, reflect and remember. So it's cool to see that museums like we're not only like, um, I guess, passively collecting things or collecting things that, you know, are super, super ancient. But things that are happening right now are also um, a huge priority for museums, which is which is good, because I, I don't think many, many other people are thinking about. Um, how do we you know conserve this thing and and even just looking at like the, th- the theories and the practices of like conservation like it's so crazy we did like a miniature in- museum installation for um, our museology class for our program and Katie and I were on it together and we were doing a whole exhibit about plants and then our teacher was like well you can't because we want to put live plants in how are you going to clean the soil of the plants so bugs and stuff don't get in and like how are you going to water it cuz it can't be watered in there cuz then you're going to have moisture and like all these things you don't think about that archivists and you know people who work in museums and curators like they know everything about how to make sure that this thing like stays as perfect as it can so it's kind of interesting it's a cool it's a cool yeah. role to have in society Really oh, that's cool.
2: really interesting and you're gonna have to share your project with me because now i want to know what you guys came up with
3: <laughs> <laughs> well I, it's funny because i already knew how to deal with the dirt thing because for whatever reason i think i've seen like people get pests in their like soil all the time so if you if you are worried about soil pests or you're ever doing a dirt installation i guess you can just bake your dirt in the oven at a very low temperature for like two hours and it's good it's mm. sanitary cool. yeah Cle- it- next yeah. Yeah. The piece. bugs yeah. yeah. Take, take
1: one or whatever. <laughs> <Piece of laughs> dirt. Yeah. Dirt. Yeah. yeah. Take some dirt. <laughs> Cause deep down um, we're all dirty. I don't
0: know. <laughs> oh my god. I
1: don't know. It
2: got worse. What theory is that. Is that Foucault?
1: <laughs> is it Foucault? Uh, I'm going to say yes. <laughs>
0: mm-mm, mm-mm.
1: No, it, it wasn't Foucault.
0: No, let's not put his name through the dirt. <gasps> oh, oh, nice good pun he's featured wow. in like every episode he so is. far i think he, he he's just a presence i just wanted to throw him in maybe we'll have in to have Zoom his call. own
3: episode
0: we'll just we'll oh just it okay it. maybe <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> just reading his hotness what liz was saying about the COVID 19 pandemic which comes up all the time in this podcast for obvious reasons reminded me that for a long time museums were like the four walls That created the space, that housed the objects, that conserved the objects, blah, blah, blah. And really, the pandemic changed that. There was some push to make it so you had, like, online accessibility and things like that. But it was like a 360. Oh, no. A 180. 360, you end up in the same place. We are history students,
3: not math students. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I would
2: agree with that to an extent, though, because I feel like Mm. there's something about um, the institution itself. Like, now it doesn't have to be just the walls. It's the name as well. True. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For
1: sure.
2: The name still boxes it in. You're like, okay, the Met is putting this out here. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that raises a whole bunch of questions that we do not have time to answer this episode. No, that's a different episode. That's a different episode. Some food for thought, listeners. Uh, it, you know, just think about this yourself. Uh, if you see an exhibit online, and it, like, it shows you an object from the museum, but you're just seeing an image of it on your computer, is that the same as seeing it in person? Discuss. Oh,
0: yes. Food for thought. Send us an email. Is... Send us a DM. We read them. If you're even, like... In,
3: and I'm sure so many of us have probably done this and like not even realized because they don't really tell you Yes. you could be looking at a masterpiece in an art museum on the wall and it's actually a, a reproduction or a copy because yeah. the real thing is too mm-hmm. valuable to actually put on a wall somewhere and yeah. are you being ripped off being paid admission to go to the Met and then seeing a fake or does yeah. it matter? Does it matter because you're still seeing it and experiencing and getting the same feelings anyway? So yeah. there's, again, that's a whole other episode for a whole different time but uh it's, it's an
0: so interesting thing interesting. to muse on. It, yeah.
1: <gasps> oh! Full circle, 360. Oh All right. Yeah, that we're was good. a 360. 360. We're on it today.
0: Boom. Okay. That was a lovely segue. We're just going to do a little bit of the background of museums in case you didn't know where museums come from. Um also the term that we're going to talk about which is not Patrick's idea, although I love the muse idea. I think it's iconic. Um, I'm ugh, I'm sorry, about my Greek, guys, my Greek is not very good because I've you know never learned Greek. It, it's like Mouseion, but I know for a fact that that's not what that word says. But it's pre- spelled Mouseion. So that's what I'm gonna say, which means seat of the muses. Have a seat and muse. <laughs> Has a seat with a muse. Take a take a little look, and talk to the muses. Even though it's a Greek word, it's really like a concept that comes from the later middle ages and into the renaissance and it really comes from cabinets of curiosities I had to do this whole spiel when I was a tour guide at a museum so like I'll just go through this real quick cabinets of curiosities are basically cabinets like you what you might have in your home that holds china and it would hold things that you found curious so they might be things you dug up in your backyard or they might be gems or they might be teeth of some sort there's a lot of teeth some are human some are not taxidermy is a big deal taxidermy animals full animals you're like oh specimens just anything that you thought was interesting and curious and that grew over time it was really for the rich obviously if you were poor in the late middle ages or the renaissance you were not worrying about this you were worrying about you know surviving but Feeding your children, feeding yourself, not dying of the plague, all of the big things. But this kind of grew and people began to visit other people's homes. Patrick, I think, mentioned private museums. So that kind of idea of having like a private collection that you had. And then over time, especially with the Enlightenment that happens in the 18th century. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. When does the Enlightenment
1: happen? Yeah. Enlightenment was the 1700s which is the yeah so 1800s <laughs> yeah
0: there you cool. go anyway yeah with the enlightenment we kind of like moved towards like a scientific ideal and started putting things more on display for the public and this idea of like enlightening the public with science and taxidermy
3: and also there was um the the idea of the the grand tour is it that yes. you know you needed to be cultured and part of being cultured was to travel around again this was much for rich people Mm -hmm. travel around and then that's when you would go to Rome and the Vatican and you know that's when people started displaying these things because it was part of your culture and part of your education to go and see much like we have field trips now I guess
0: Yeah, but a cooler field trip
1: Uh, if I could (laughs) just going to quickly interject just based on what Liz was saying I think this might be an important place to sort of quickly pause and, and reference what we're going to talk about later with uh, uh, sort of colonial ties to museums. But this idea that, that as as Liz was saying, from what, from what it sounds like so far uh, museums in the past and the history of museums is all about sort of people of privilege and people of power and, and influence um, having the time to do these things, you know, they aren't, they're not working all the time and they have the education to, to sort of um, give themselves the opportunity to have these sorts of experiences. Um, and so like, if if this is sort of what births when you know people go to to North America and find indigenous people and then bring them back to literal human museums, <laughs> um, it's all based on these on these sort of ideologies. So it's not just that like I mean obviously a huge part of it of course is that you know these museums are institutions on on land that has been colonized by settlers. Um, but in addition to that, it seems like the honest to god ideologies that have sort of driven the origin of museums from the beginning have the similar themes and ties to a similar group of people and and ideologies Mm -hmm. as colonialism itself
2: yeah totally and collections have come a long way because these people were collecting and they were doing it out of Mm self-service they were getting these items and they weren't really documenting where they were from who made Mm -hmm. them what they were for they're just like i like this and it's coming into my home to show off who i am nowadays that is completely the opposite approach we don't do that but it has it has had an effect on how museums were created and what they what they were doing in in the first uh in the
0: first part of our our history lesson here (laughs) yeah uh and then to make a long story short in the mid 20th century you know in that like period after world war ii when everything in the world began to change i don't know There is a movement to introduce more education into museums to make them more for the public who might not have been as enlightened. Not to say that pre-World War II it wasn't like that, but definitely in the post-war period, like a lot of things, it began to open up a little bit more and was more about education. And then that has only increased as we go on. Then we're going to talk just a little bit about um, modern museum thinking, Uh, a term that Patrick loves, shared authority, and how trustworthy me, they like are. But yeah, Patrick, can you define <laughs> shared authority for us?
1: Oh, I'm going to butcher this now because I'm on the spot. spot. Um, yeah, shared authority in general is the idea that whatever history is going on isn't sort of like a, a one-way street. Meaning that if you're an institution or even just a historian, like this works for just historians as well, but if you're in a public institution or historian... Uh, and you're working with history uh, that has to do with people that are still alive or still have a culture, or still representative of the history that you're sharing. Involving them in your research process, involving them in your publishing process or in the case of museums, involving them in like your exhibit process, all that sort of stuff. That's the, the idea of shared authority, that you're not just speaking for the groups that your uh, your history exhibit is about. You're actually including them in the process and sharing the authority Uh, of what happens with the exhibit and everything and the important thing to remember is that shared authority isn't always 50 50 it's not like you you each have like a shareholder's (laughs) position in a company or something it's more just that you're involving them in the process and that depending on the situation you might have the the curator or exhibit designer still have the sort of final say depending on the sort of expertise in the room uh but it's it's essentially a major push to not just superficially get people from communities involved uh, in the history that you're, that you're sharing, but to actively include them in the situation and uh, to listen to their ideas and, and, and uh, a lot of active listening involved. But, yeah.
0: Perfect. That was a great definition. You know. Thanks! <laughs> yeah. So yeah, modern museums are in some cases built on shared authority. That's definitely not the case for all museums. We would like it to be, but it's not. Yeah. Tier, but do better museums.
2: I have that quote by uh, James Clifford. So James Clifford wrote a piece called Museums as Contact Zones, and in this piece he wrote, In the 20th century, museums have been central to the production and consumption of heritage. and They put that in quotation marks. In a dizzying range of local, national, and transnational contexts, integral elements in expansive tourist industries. So how do we,
0: how do we feel about that? Yeah, I mean, tourism is like you know you think about italy for example it it's the palatine hill which is like all of the museum there and then it's like pompeii and it's just like that's what drives the majority of italy's tourism so mm-hmm. oh yeah it's a big part yeah
1: yeah i mean yeah worldwide uh, museums and, and history sites of, of various kinds really are a huge part of tourism um and that sort of industry um, I also, I like that they put heritage in quotes, it's kind <laughs> of funny to me, just because oftentimes it seems like anyway, uh, when you pair tourism and museums, it's often more about sort of heritage, or sort of stereotypes, or stories, that sort of thing, than the actual sort of nitty-gritty history, you know, like, you go to, uh, like, so, like, like the Vatican or something of that museum, and then you're expecting a certain thing when you go there, and it feels more like they're, uh, a heritage rather than a history. I see where you're <laughs> going with
2: that, like, there's some people that go to museums, i've heard i've maybe seen this in a in a poll maybe before where they're like oh when you visit a new place do you go to a museum to learn about that area and i'm like not all museums are meant for that not all especially no. the bigger ones and maybe even the smaller ones are not there to teach you about the city that you're in they're they have often very specific exhibits going on in very specific pieces they're not exactly what you think they are sometimes
3: yeah yeah, like the ROM is putting on Queens of Egypt right yeah. now. Like, I'm not gonna <laughs> go that, to Toronto and be like, like, "Yeah, we we'll learn all about Egypt."
0: That, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. the The ROM, not to at the ROM, <laughs> but... but it's always confused me a little bit. I've said the word "at" at least three times this episode. <laughs> but anyway, um, it, the museums always confused me just a little bit because for a museum that claims to be the Royal Ontario Museum, it has very little Ontario history. Ontario mm-hmm. has
0: very little colonial history, so they don't... They're like, nah.
1: Right, of course. So mummies. So mummies. Is the, uh... But ROM years. is
3: very laid out of, like, world history. You have, like, European history of Asia. Like, it's all just kind of... You walk around the ROM and you're more in, like, sections of the globe, which is interesting because it's kind of an opposite thing of what Robin was talking about. Like, certain museums are there, to, you know, to relate to the place that you're in and to teach you about the place that you're in, but a lot of museums are a great way that if people can't afford to travel, like I don't know if I'll be able, ever be able to go and see the Great Wall of China or, you know, things like that. But I could go to a museum and learn about Chinese culture and Chinese history because of the things that are displayed there. And it's a lot cheaper to do that than it is to fly to China. I well, uh, That is
1: true. And I mean other places have those sorts of museums, like oh, New yeah. York, what's it called? Of the, it. Night the, the museum men. movie that is it the Met.
3: Oh, well, there's the there's the, the Museum of Natural History as well, which
1: mm-hmm. is, which is sure. where uh, Night of the Museum Knight, is filmed. <laughs> Night of the Museum. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> um, or even the Smithsonian, um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, it has that sort of yeah, idea thing, right? But there are, like, yeah, big museums that kind of have a, a wide berth of history, and they're sort of famous for that. And I, I, I suppose the Ron would, would fit into there.
0: Mm-hmm. Because Toronto things. is an international is city?
1: Uh... <laughs> you freaking know it. Well. Oh, Everyone wants to come to yeah, Toronto. Okay. It's only because the, it's the place the to the be.
3: world only knows... Like if you like name a city in Canada, the only one they know is I know. Toronto. So true.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe Vancouver. Yeah. For most of our
1: listeners, yeah. it's true. For most of our listeners, we all live in Toronto.
2: Yeah, actually, yeah. even when I was going to school in Ottawa, yeah. they didn't. I would tell them where I'm from, and I'd have to always revert back to Toronto because it was just like even yeah. within yeah, the province, always. they're like uh Toronto. How yeah. oh, yeah. I know that one?
3: Yeah. Same <laughs> with Muskoka. I'm like, oh, uh, two hours north of Toronto. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah and then they got yeah.
2: the complete yeah. wrong. The
0: Canadian <laughs> thing
3: that we do. We don't, yeah, measure, like, we don't measure things in length, so it's not, like, X amount of miles or X amount of kilometers. It's how many yeah. hours <laughs> or minutes it it's takes to It's easier.
0: I stand by it. Uh, me it, too. I stand by it. I think it's
1: so it much is. more helpful. It so is. so much more user-friendly.
3: Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, you could be like, oh, yeah, it's, like, six miles. And I'm like, I have to convert it to kilometers. And then what yeah. even is a kilometer? And, and then like,
2: exactly. instantly yeah. everyone relates, though. You're like, oh, I had to go there. It was this many hours. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I've been on a road like, trip like yeah,
0: that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah
1: yeah Uh, wild
2: sorry
3: way off track track, but that's it's cool it's
2: cool
0: Uh, our other bit okay yeah speaking
2: of museums being representative we have our next bit right
1: okay
0: yeah (gasps) yeah which is
2: you can can go ahead i can go ahead okay cheese. yes Uh, i wasn't expecting that what a great transition very clunky transition (laughs) but here we go so we learned about this in our first semester of our public history course and we were talking about museums as trusted institutions and we read this really interesting article that surveyed, I believe it was about 900 people in Vancouver asking them who they trust. On a a scale of just uh, places where you can get public knowledge about history, who do they trust the most when it comes to getting information and sources about archaeological knowledge? And can you guess which one's number one?
1: (laughs) Is it... (laughs) Ooh. I was
2: about to say. It. Yes. No, it wasn't high school students, so it's it's good. no I'm kidding. Sorry. Anyone who's in high school, that no, am kidding. And some,
3: and some university students. Yeah,
2: me,
0: me. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone uses
3: every day. It's fine. And what is what it? Is museums, Robin. Oh yeah,
2: it is museums, and it's surprisingly museums. There is about fifty-seven yeah. percent of the respondents said that they trust museums over let's say, books over schools. And well, I guess also schools are, that's a debate we talked about before. They can be pretty biased, but mm-hmm. <laughs> they trust them over over schools, over books, over television, and even public lectures. Which wow. is, why would
0: that be shocking for us? We were all very shocked by that. Yeah. And it's because, I guess this leads into our, our next major bullet, which is this question of neutral spaces and whether or not museums are neutral Scientific, objective spaces. Do we think that they are? They ain't. They ain't.
2: No. But no. But the no, public no.
0: thinks no. they are, and that's where we get that kind of divide, where they're like, oh, "Of course, it's scientific." So why aren't museums neutral spaces? Well, my first thought is, wow, it's one of us that are running museums. So
2: how? There's no way it's a neutral space. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. know who's putting
1: yeah. our yes. stuff together. I am biased
2: about everything. <laughs> you know, <we> have opinions.
0: <laughs> so I, I think.
3: People feel like you can't trust a public lecture, even if it's like someone who has a PhD and has spent their entire life researching this one thing. Like museums give you that comfort of there's never, usually anyway, you go into an exhibit and it's not by blah, 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 the curator. Mm-hmm. It has this kind of like an to it where you can apply your own, I guess, ideologies to it and you're not feeling like other ideologies or points of view are kind of being forced upon you even though they are because it's not only someone talking at you but this entire space has been curated to feel a certain way and to make you think or come away a certain way hopefully they don't act like i don't think people are doing that specifically but i'm thinking of like disney world where they have the freaking things that are like this is the scent of this place versus this place and like at certain times of day they like you know out the i don't know you can look it up and there's literally like these like 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 disney world does all of these little tiny things everywhere to make you buy more to make you like feel a certain way so you always have the happy good time disney serotonin going and museums are very much the same way um or you know it's even just with the the things that you are showcasing as well right where someone is writing that label that you're reading And it's not objective. Mm -hmm. But you think it is. Because, again, there is no buy, blah, blah, blah on that label. Yeah. So you can... Oh, this thing was found in this specific spot, and it was never... And actually, it belonged to this culture and this specific people. And we went there a couple hundred years ago and just took these things without asking for permission, and then left and brought them home, and now you're seeing them here. Yeah.
1: Um, Has anyone ever, like, had that arguer, that really annoying person who argues where they're like, it's just the facts," Like... I'm not, I don't have any, I'm not, I don't have an argument. These are just, here's the facts. That's it. These are just, that's it, you know? And it's like, well, no, you have an argument because you're using the facts to support an argument. That's what museums feel like to me a lot of the time, where it's like, here's an artifact. Here's an object. That's objective. It's real. There's no argument about it. It just is, you know, and and like that sort of attitude to it. Um, which is, I think, what leads people to believe that they're objective spaces because you're just looking at something from the past. And so if, if the sort of card beside it that has the writing just describes the object and tells you its little history, you're like, okay, that it's an artifact, it has a history, that's it. There's no argument here, it's just completely objective. I'm just looking at some things, <laughs> and they're all facts. But uh, as we know, museums obviously have mandates and mission statements and purposes and objectives and all sorts of stuff and so when you sort of take all the artifacts of an, of an exhibit and, and bring them all together there's usually a point to it usually an intentional point at least there will always be a point because humans are always biased in many ways um but there's often an intentional point to a museum exhibit or, or a whole museum um itself uh <laughs> i'm
3: bouncing back in again i think to, <laughs> like talking about patrick what you were saying about like how Objects are often like portrayed as objective in museums And I think there's a lot of issues with that something I'm really interested in is obviously repatriation Which we might talk about later Repatriation is this idea that just like items uh, in museums are what we call accessioned, where you know You obtain an item for whatever reason and you catalog it and then you know it is under the museum's care Repatriating is returning an object from a museum or you know si- similar context to the, uh, its original place So, you know, for example, if there is um, an indigenous community where there are artifacts that were not obtained uh, with their permission and they're being held in a museum, they can appeal to that museum and have those things returned to them. And one of the things that sadly is the most, you know, either asked to be repatriated or the things that um, that are the most. Infuriating, I guess that museums have are human bodies and remains, uh, especially of indigenous people, because it enforces this idea, right, that like they are extinct and you have to come here to see them, and it's something I never thought about. But because even with the mummies, right, like we're putting them in a display case in a glass box, just like all the other objects that you're looking at, and so this person, this human that had life and a culture and a place, like somewhere else they belong, was taken. And they're just an object now. And I can't imagine, like, I would never... I want to be cremated, so I'll probably just end up in an urn on someone's, you know, uh, Valley village or whatever. No. Oh, like, oh, Grandma's an
0: object now. <laughs> what? But... <laughs> not, not actually. Grandma's but... an object now. But it... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma's an
1: object You can now. <laughs> buy it for three bucks. <laughs> <With> <laughs> <steel>. <laughs> yeah. Um deal? Yeah.
3: But no, it's that, that same... I guess, yeah, like... It... That's why it's so it's so damaging is that human bodies, like, these people were buried according to their culture and the ways that they were supposed to be cared for and protected by their community. And then colonizers come in and dig them up and then put them on display and completely deny that. So next time you are at a museum and you see remains, think about that. Think that it's a person. Um, and that's why I think kind of the context of museums and how they display artifacts can be really not challenging, I guess, but, like, really upsetting is that everything is just an object. And, again, it's objective. It has whatever else. But it's not. So, next time you're at a museum, no matter what you're looking at, but especially remains or cultural items, like, think about that. Where did they come from? Why are they here? Who brought them here? Um, Is there someone who's missing them, who wants to bring them home, who instead of you going to to the cemetery to see your grandmother and remember her, you have to go to a museum and see them in a glass box as some sort of Display piece, just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that got real
0: deep there. I mean, it segues well for us into what's like our last section, let's call it, where we talk about how museums are colonial institutions. So Liz set us up really well to talk about how museums were often responsible and complicit in stealing things from people, including bodies, which is horrific, and the fact they put still put them on display is a different thing entirely. But beyond taking things from other communities, what other ways do we see museums either being colonial institutions in the past or continuing to be colonial institutions today?
2: I kind of like going back on what Patrick said earlier too with them. They're displaying an object and there's just a little label and we're just trusting what the museum wrote. When it comes to Mm -hmm. objects that belong to different communities, different cultures, different people, if we don't let them have a voice on those those labels and sometimes on top of that those labels are so small we've talked about this before i believe where they're it's just not enough that's another aspect where we're perpetuating this colonial aspect within museums where we're not giving the proper space to these communities to talk about their pieces and share them in the way that they deem is correct um oftentimes i liz touched on this oftentimes it's just not done in a respectful manner unfortunately
1: mm-hmm it actually it references something that liz was talking about before as well uh and i think i've told at least you folks this story before but i worked at a uh a small museum over the summers of my undergrad which was a great experience but i was the programming associate so my whole thing was like i had to make programs for kids that sort of thing and i had to go through the old programs that they used to have that have not been updated in like 10 to 15 to 20 years or something like that and I found one and it was an archaeology program and I opened it up and the main thing that's a part of our archaeology program is indigenous history and digging up like arrowheads and all that sort of stuff and treating indigenous history like archaeology and essentially like suggesting that indigenous cultures in Canada and their history is ancient history, much like Greek or Roman, whatever, which was, I mean, obviously such a red flag when I found it, but I think it really speaks to this idea that... Often, museums uh, uh, will sort of treat Indigenous history like ancient history, or like history that that, uh, uh, that Indigenous cultures don't exist anymore. That's something mm-hmm.
0: in the past. Like, a big oh. part of the colonial project was enforcing this idea that the Indigenous communities were dying out on their own because they were so archaic. Modern Europeans were so much better in so many ways, and that that was just happening. And museums, like the Rom, were complicit in saying yes by, like, putting remains on display and doing other things like digging up arrowheads and saying that it was like ancient past and things like that. So that's totally true. Other ways that it's a colonial institution? I think
3: this might be getting a little more like woo-woo. I don't (laughs) know.
1: What does that mean? For reference, guys, it's so hot in all of our closets right now. We're getting a little loopy.
3: We're we're all feeling a little woo-woo right now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) but i think too like museums traditionally and maybe with covid like we're starting to see this shift a little bit how museums approach learning and like how they approach like sharing information with their visitors but i do think too that the way museums are set up again not only to be you know showing colonial history whatever else but even just like the method that you learn things and the way the information is displayed is very like kind of culturally not culturally insensitive but it's just kind of it's kind of deaf to all the different ways that people learn and not even culturally but like people with disabilities people who are not neurotypical like there are so many things that for example maybe someone with autism could not have the same experience or have a positive experience in a museum than someone who is neurotypical who can just walk around reading things we, we all learn so differently and just the way that most museums are laid out, even like normal, like anyone, anyone. Do you read every single tiny label? No. Nope. Unless you're like 80. You couldn't. There's usually like one like one really old person who's just reading everything and they're complaining because this text is so small they can't read Fair. it. But most people, like you don't go around and you, you don't read the labels. And partly is because that's maybe the information that they don't want you to read or don't really care that you see. But also... Why are we displaying information that way? Why aren't we making it fun and accessible? Um, and so, yeah, it's again, it's maybe, and maybe that's one way of just kind of keeping you not necessarily complicit, but like keeping you moving through the exhibit, keeping you from questioning too much. I don't know. It's just it's just interesting that that's why do we display information that way? And museums are coming into new ways to do that with more like interactive exhibits and again, digital things. Um, we're even able to, you know, with 3D scanning and stuff, we're able to actually, look at an object and all of its different views we also have 3d printing now which means that we can replicate artifacts and people who are more tactile can actually like touch it and see how it works and that's a big part of history too is not only like the textbook history of it but also the intangible heritage and intangible heritage is like how an item works for example like you can see a projectile point on display or you could use that projectile point on an atlatl, which is a prehistoric weapon that predates the uh, bow and arrow. And you could use that and actually see how it worked. And when that like that would make so much more sense for your learning. But also it it preserves a whole other level of its history, not just the thing itself, but how we use it. And, you know, and that's all around more memorable, more fun and like you're pres- it's a you're preserving even more which is the goal of most museums is to preserve and um care for that yeah. history. Sorry no, that was but a it's ramble. I don't know if There's it's, it's just our bubble
2: but um that is not woo woo at all. Uh I think we all really <laughs> okay. believe in
3: that.
1: <laughs> it's woo <woo-woo> woo in <laughs> the best yes. it's <laughs> <a good laughs> way. It's
2: a positive woo
3: I'm sure some like, you know, middle-aged curators probably like, "Well, wow, like, woo- don't <laughs>
2: touch it. It's a, it's an artifact. Don't touch it." But like we've said yeah. like these are They're more than just object. At times they're living things in a sense that they they carry culture and knowledge and history and they're meant to be used to learn from them. Mm -hmm. They're meant to be used and they're meant to be interacted with.
0: Yeah. I think that segues us very nicely into the last final section, the uphill, the the, everything's going to be okay because it's not all bad, which is how... Can museums get better? How can they change from being colonial institutions? Or what ways have we seen museums begin to get better?
1: I think diversifying learning is a really good way to do it. Sort of building off what Liz was just talking about. Uh, so sort of the direct solution to that is finding various ways to teach the material that you have uh, for, for folks who have different ways of learning. Mm-hmm. Especially because museums as colonial institutions uh, are really driven by this idea of liberal education or middle-class education and uh, museums are for the educated, for people who can understand these complex topics and that sort of thing. And that rhetoric was often used in, in colonialism as well. Um, that's sort of another link between the two. Uh, and so, you know, changing that dynamic where, where it's not just about this particular way of teaching that uh, you don't have to, you know, think about museums in a certain way to, to appreciate them. You can appreciate them in, in, in a variety of ways. Um, which is really the point, right, that that we're trying to teach as many people as possible all these sorts of histories. And so diversifying that as much as you can is, I think, a really important step.
0: For sure. Mm-hmm.
2: I think another big one is including voices. We've mentioned this before. Just bringing in those communities and letting them have their say in what's going on in those spaces. I have this really great quote from Beatrice Harris Who wrote about excluding affected communities from their own history? She wrote, museums that continue to function in this manner, preventing recovery from historical trauma, stifle indigenous rights activism, and perpetuate social inequalities. So I think she hit the nail right on the head. And it's just, we have to move forward and be more inclusive.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And just straight representation, right? Like if you go to a museum and see people who are represented who are either different from you or if you're from that group of people and you see someone uh, uh, from your culture, that's really, really powerful and important.
0: Mm -hmm. And also um, just like acknowledging the role that museums have had in the past and the ways they perpetuate colonial violence and white supremacy. Just like taking that first step and being like, we actually were complicit or actively part of this past and this history and this present is a really important step. You need to acknowledge it in order to be able to move forward.
3: So I'll link it down below in the show notes for you guys. The TED Talk's called Opening Up the Museum, I think. Her name is Nina Simon, and she... We watched this in our museology class, and it just completely blew open what I thought a museum was and what museums can do. And it was just so neat because basically she became, like, the head of this museum, local art museum, and visitation was way down and she wasn't seeing even like the diversity that was reflected in the community like you can walk around and see all these people but those all those different people weren't coming to the museum and she wanted to know why and it was because uh so much of the museum is she describes things as like doorways as open doors as closed doors and so much of our either early experience at museums or current experience or even just perceptions of museums is that they are these closed doors You aren't able to have conversations in museums. It's very much a um, very passive way of learning. And she realized like through talking to community members and like surveys and all these things of like no one, like people were just kind of feeling like oppressed by the museum structure. They Again, especially with art museum, I find it's really hard to get people interested in learning about art and so the way that she changed her museum was like having these open dialogue conversations with people and inviting people from the community into the museum space to make those closed doors open up and allowed them again with kind of shared authority of like what do you want to see in this museum what do you want us to do with this specific space for children or whatever else i don't really remember the exact things that she did but i will again i will at least link it below mm-hmm. but if you're especially if you're interested in like working as a curator in a museum or just really interested in museology i highly recommend that video because it was it was like a museum but also a community center and a healing space and just like all of these things that you don't realize your um, local museum does for your community, she was embracing that, which was just so cool. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember any more details. From no, that, I think, think she just hit
0: it. a good amazing. teaser, yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah. I have another Ted talk. If you're on the Ted talk bandwagon at this point and you want to watch another, let me just get the title. Everyone, is. It's Hannah Mason <laughs> Macklin's museum in progress, decolonizing museums. And it's a great TED talk all about shared authority, mainly, and like how to decolonize museums from the inside. So if you're interested in history, you know, if you're feeling now sad about how we've talked about how museums are colonial institutions and blah, 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 she can help you feel a little bit better about decolonizing from the inside and what we can do with shared authority. She also uses the Black Panther scene with like Killmonger in what's supposed to be the British Museum, but actually it's great that's how she opens it and you're like "Mm." love that scene
1: (laughs) that's a a great yeah that's awesome
0: watch the black panther Great yeah
1: yeah 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 can we put that in the show notes too it's just
0: (laughs) it's worth it spend three hours of your life i mean it's It's so so good it's It's so good and on that note anyway (laughs) that's a wrap (laughs) I think that is a wrap. I <laughs> hope you enjoyed. Email us the thing that we asked you to email about. I can't remember what it was now. <laughs> what was it?
1: Oh, I asked it too, didn't it I? It was
0: something about shoot. Oh my
1: god. Oh right, yeah. about objects and whether yes. or not digital like like seeing them digitally is the same as seeing yes. them in person and whether or not they're replicas if that matters, yeah. that whole debate. We would love to hear your thoughts. Even
3: just uh, museums <laughs> that you loved that maybe we haven't mentioned. Yeah. sure. Um, if you are local to Ontario, I mean, actually anywhere, wherever you're from, if you have a favorite yeah. museum, maybe we'll create some sort of story map. and <laughs> Ooh,
2: Story make map. The ultimate that book would be cool. cool. I, I actually like this. Yeah, map, so I wouldn't mind doing that too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah still awesome. like a
3: pinned or something. Yeah. You know what?
2: yeah. yeah. Let yeah. us know like stuff you've seen in museums that you really enjoy or steps mm. that you've seen in museums yeah. that are, are moving forward and past this colonial past yeah. that we have and still present unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Something that really moves you, you know, an object or an exhibit yeah. that, that really, you know, took your breath away and, and made you feel something. Yeah.
0: Made you feel something yeah. deep in the heart. All those things. We love museums. All right. And we love talking oh, with people who love, love museums, so just do it. Yes. <laughs> Send it. DM us. Email us. We yeah. will respond. So cheers. Email us.
1: Uh, we are coming up on the end of our first season. We will be back. We are not done by any means, but uh, this is we're going for twelve episodes. So two more until we take a bit of a hiatus uh, and and focus on ourselves for a bit and get prepared for what season two might have in store. Uh, and as a part of that, we thought a really great way to end off would be doing uh, a sort of Q&A episode, <laughs> an episode where uh, we get some questions <laughs> from listeners out there. Questions about us, about our experiences, about uh, uh, history questions that you might have, questions about being a history student, anything like that. Anything uh, we'll we'll pick some uh, or all and uh, we'll, we'll answer what we can. <laughs> yes. but, so DM
0: uh, us, email us. We'll also have on our Insta story, mm-hmm. we'll put up like a question box every so often so that, you know it's yeah. easy but if if you're listening to this and you're like i need to know this about x just x being one of us by the way just email us dm us blah 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 yeah okay let us know and on that right. note we'll see you on the flippity flop see ya <laughs> Bye.
1: Bye.
2: Digital dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, Lenapewock, out of wandering peoples on lands connected with the london township and somber treaties of 1796 and with one spoon common wampum this land continues to be home to first nations people Métis people and inuit people whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today digital dust is hosted and produced by elizabeth edwards katie gaskin patrick kingan and robin marshall sound design by elizabeth edwards audio transcription by kate Katie Gaskin, our theme music is by Matthias Miller.